right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalms chapter 78. Psalms chapter 78, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generations to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law. Father, I pray now that you'll bless the reading of thy word. I ask you to give us liberty these next few moments and may the Holy Spirit speak to hearts and we'll thank you and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. I want to preach on this subject tonight on what will your children do in the day of battle. What will your children do in the day of battle? Notice the Bible says in verse number 9 that the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. Before I deal with this verse of Scripture, I want to say that there's a lot of, uh, of things surrounding it throughout the uh, Psalms chapter 78 that is worthy to be mentioned. In fact, I think unless we uh, deal with this psalm with it in its entirety, uh, then we cannot fully understand what the psalmist is talking about uh, in this verse, nor the verses that are before it. When you come to Psalms chapter 78, there's 72 verses, and this is the second longest psalm uh, within the 150 psalms that we have. So when you come to this psalm here, the author being, or the penman, should I say, uh, being Asaph, and he's writing about uh, particularly two different subjects. First of all, he's talking about command, and then he's talking about consequences. For he's dealing with the nation of Israel and how that God was gracious to Israel and God had been good to Israel. He reminds us of that uh, in Psalms chapter 78. But he also reminds us of Israel's rebellion, how that they turned away from God and then God brought consequences in their life as a result of that. I want to just stop and say this, that that same thing is true in all of our life. God has been good to us. He has blessed us. And I think anyone that's listening right now would have to raise their hand and say that God has been better to us than what we deserve. And He's done far more than what we would ever expect Him to do. But yet many times, if we're not careful, just like the nation of Israel, uh, we will forget God and we will, not, uh, we will not honor God. And some even go to the extent of disobeying God. God and rebelling against Him, and then severe consequences come uh, in the life of a believer. Now, when you come to this text here, I want you to see several things just by way of introduction, and then we'll... Uh, labor the thought that God has impressed upon us. I want you to see in verses 1 through 7, uh, the psalmist here deals uh, with the responsibilities that are given by God. And that responsibility is to teach our children uh, the heritage and the ways of the Lord. That was the responsibility of the nation of Israel, that they would pass down from one generation to the next uh, the wonders and the marvelous works of God and the promises of God. And so it, the psalmist deals with the responsibility 
abilities that are given by God. But I want to go a little bit deeper here in this psalm for just uh, just a few moments. And I want you to think about uh, some other things that will bring us back to the early verses of this psalm here. And that is the rebellion against God. Uh, scattered throughout Psalms chapter 78, uh, the psalmist highlights the rebellion of the nation of Israel against God. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, I want you to notice in uh, verse number 11 and verse number 12 that the Bible talks about here how that they disregarded His miracles. Notice uh, the Bible says that they forget His works and His wonders that He had showed them. Marvelous things did He in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt and in the field of Zoan. And they forgot, they disregarded uh, the miracles that God had done for them. Look again in verse number 32. The Bible says, For all this they sin still and believe not for His wondrous works. Again in verse number 42. Notice the Bible said they remembered not His hand nor the day when He delivered them from the enemy. How He had wrought His signs in Egypt and His wonders in the field of Zoan. Again in verse number uh, 58 He mentions that. And He talks about how that Israel one of the, uh, the acts of rebellion was that they disregarded uh, the miracles that God uh, had done in their life. Another thing that we see is that they refused to obey God. The Bible says in verse number 8 that they, they're talking about generations to come that they might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. They just refused to obey Him. In fact verse number 10 says that they kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law. Look at verse number 17 and they sinned yet more against Him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. So when you look in this psalm here, you see that they disregarded the miracles of God. That's an act of rebellion. And then they refused to listen to the counsel and obey the covenant that God had given them. Then we find that in verse number uh, verse number uh, 18 that they complained against God. They tempted God in their heart, the Bible says, by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, He smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can He give bread also? Can He provide flesh for His people? So it seemed to never be enough for these people. That no matter what God did for them, no matter how great the miracles, no matter how much God had blessed them, they seemed to continually complain. Even though God had, had gave them water from the rock and though God had, had parted the Red Sea and God had been good to them, it was never enough. They were continually complaining and complaining. You know, God takes that very seriously. Amen? When we just murmur and complain and don't count our blessings, but instead we continually ask for more and, and expect more out of God. And so we see that their rebellious acts is seen in the fact that they disregarded His miracles. Uh, they would not, they refused to obey uh, God and His covenants. And then they complained against God. I want you to notice something else. Uh, we find throughout this uh, uh, psalm here that the psalmist mentions how that they were faithless. Uh, he talks about in verse number 22, because they believed not in God and trusted not in His salvation. We see their rebellion and the fact that they were faithless. They believed not God after all He had done for them. Look at verse number 37. For their heart was not right with Him, neither were they steadfast in His covenant. Look at verse number 40. 
16. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now what limits God? The only thing is unbelief when we choose to not believe Him. And Israel is uh, refusing to believe God. They are faithless. Look at verse number 56. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God and kept not His testimonies, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow. So they refused to, to believe God. They, they complained against Him. They refused to obey Him. They, uh, they disregarded His miracles. They were faithless. Notice the Bible tells us in verse number 34 that they lied to him when he slew them. Uh, then they sought him and they returned and inquired early after God and they remembered that God was their rock and the high God their redeemer. But notice verse 36, Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongue. So the Bible's talking about in this psalm here uh, their rebellion against God. How that they rebelled and they disregarded his miracles. They refused to obey Him. They complained against Him. They lied to Him. Uh, they were faithless. And then in verse number 58, notice the Bible says here that they even worshipped other gods. For they provoked Him to anger with their high places and moved Him to jealousy with their graven images. So over and over, Israel rebels against God. Then secondly, not only do we see here their rebellion against God, but notice their retribution from God. What does this, all this rebellion, what does it, how does God react to it? What is the, what is the consequences of them turning away from God? Well, notice in verse number uh, 21 that the Bible tells us here in verse number 21 that uh, God became angry with them. Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth so a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel. So God is angry with their rebellion and He's going to bring retribution upon them. Notice in verse number 30 that God kills many of them. They, uh, the Bible says in verse number 30 that they were not estranged from their lust but why while their meat was yet in their mouth, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down uh, the chosen men of Israel. God killed many of them because of their rebellion. That was the retribution. He caused them to suffer failure and terror in verse number 33. Therefore, their days did He consume in vanity and their years in trouble. So God is, uh, is bringing consequences in Israel's life because of their rebellion. Rebellion. I want you to see that uh, not only uh, did he kill many of them, not only did he bring uh, uh, fear and terror in their life, but I want you to notice that, uh, that he refused to, to dwell among them. The Bible said in verse number 59, notice this, that when God heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among men. Uh, listen, God refused here. Uh, he had caused them to suffer terror, but he refused to dwell among them. This faithless, unbelieving generation, this ungrateful generation that God had done so much for, one of the consequences was that he removed his presence and would not dwell amongst them. Can I tell you all God would have to do to let things spin out of control in our life was just remove his presence? And by the way, he's doing that in a lot of churches, in a lot of pulpits, uh, a, lot of, a lot of places. God is withdrawing his presence 
presence and refusing to dwell amongst men because of their rebellion. And we see here that he did that. Not only that, but he allowed the ark to be captured. The Bible says in verse number 61 that he delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. In other words, God allowed the ark to be placed in the hands of the enemy. Why? Because of Israel's rebellion. You know, we look around our country today and we see the, the, the condition of our nation and we see how that the glory has departed and is not dwelling in the land like it once did. And we see all the problems that's going on in our nation. All the sin and all the trouble and all the wickedness and how that it is. And a lot of times God's people is very good at complaining about the, uh, the sins of America and the condition of America. But I want to remind you that verse number 60 and verse number 61 reminds us that God is not going to dwell amongst His people when they're living in sin. He's going to withdraw His glory and He's going to put that strength and He's going to put that glory in the hands of the enemy. Now that's not because of their doing, but it's because of the doings of the people of God that they have rebelled against Him. And so God allowed the ark to be captured. God allowed uh, them to, more of them to be killed. Look at verse number 62. And He gave His people over also unto the sword and was wroth with His inheritance. The fire consumed their young men and the maidens were not given to marriage. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. So in other words, God uh, allowed people to, to die because uh, of the sins of His people. I wonder how many people's blood is on the church today. I wonder how many people are suffering around our nation today because God's people refuses to have revival. They refuse to live by His covenant. They refuse to obey His word. They're good at naming His name and, and proclaiming His promises and, and singing his, his praise. But the problem is uh, they're not living by His principles. They're not following His covenant. That's the problem in this text uh, and that's the problem that we're seeing today. We see the rebellion. We see the retribution. If you notice in verse number 67, moreover He refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim. He rejected the northern tribe. This very tribe that we're talking about or going to talk about in verse number 9 uh, that turned back in the day of battle. God rejects them in verse number uh, 67 because uh, of their faithlessness, because they were faithless and because uh, of the sins of Israel. Uh, God rejects them. You know, the Lord will not receive us uh, when we're living in sin. We have to confess it. We have to forsake it. And so we see the rebellion against God. We see the retribution by God. But then we see the redemption from God. Scattered throughout this psalm, amidst all this rebellion, amidst all this retribution, God is constantly reminding us, and, and the psalmist is reminding Israel of how God had brought redemption time and time again. God had delivered Israel in spite of their rebellion, in spite of their sin, in spite of all that they did. They suffered great consequences. We know that as we read the Old Testament and we look at the history of the nation of Israel, not just in the Old Testament, but as well as in the New Testament and throughout church history and, and throughout the history of our nation, we find that the Jews have always suffered. Why? Because that's been a part of God's dealing with 
them. But we also see how that God is faithful. That in spite of their unfaithfulness, God will still keep His covenant. God will still bring redemption. And in this psalm, God did not leave that redemption out. You'll notice with me in verse number 13 how that He divided the waters of the Red Sea. The Bible said that He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. And He made the waters to stand as in heat. And then in verse number 14, we notice that God guided them with a cloud of pillar and fire. The Bible says in verse number 14 that in the daytime also He led them with a cloud and all the night with a light of fire. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 52. But, he, but the Bible says, but made His own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock and He led them on safely so that they feared not but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. So the Bible says here that God divided the Red Sea. That was one a part of God's redemption for them. Then God had a pillar of cloud by fire that led them through the night time. God guided them like a flock. He was faithful even in spite of their unfaithfulness. The Bible says in verse number 15 and verse number 16 that He provided water from the rock. He clave the rock in the, in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. We're talking about the God's redemption. We see Israel's rebellion. We see uh, God's uh, retribution. But we also see God's uh, 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 re redemption that in spite of them, God still took care of them. He fed them with manna and quail. The Bible says in verse 23, notice that, that He had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to be uh, to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven and by His power He brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust and feathered fowls like as the sands, uh, sand of the sea and He let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitation. So they did eat and, and were well filled and for He gave them their own desire. In other words, God took care of their every need. He drew that water out of the rock. He Listen, He, he gave them that pillar of cloud, of fire by, by night. He guided them. He opened up the Red Sea. He fed them with manna and quail from heaven. God opened up the doors of heaven. And if all of that wouldn't have been enough, look at what the Bible says in verse 38. He forgave their sins, but He being full of compassion forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not, yea, many a time, turned his anger away, and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away, and cometh not again. God forgave Israel of all their sinful uh, uh, living, of all their sinful deeds, time and time again. God was merciful. You know, I have to stop and say this, that if God would give that many promises and that much provision and that much pardon for Israel, wouldn't He do that same for you and I? He's promised the same. God has pardoned us. He's parted the Red Sea in our life, brought us out of Egypt, brought us, uh, thank God, into the land of Canaan. God has fed us. He's provided for us. Uh, listen, God has guided us and led us just like He did the nation of Israel. And you know what? Just like in verse 38 and 39, He's forgave us of our iniquities time and time again. You know as well as I do, we've all done enough since we've been saved to put everybody else in hell and ourselves as well. But in spite of that, God still shows us mercy, still shows us forgiveness, still 
still shows His grace. The very same thing that He has done for Israel, He's done in my life, He's done in yours, proving that God has provided redemption in spite of my, uh, my shortcomings, in spite of our rebellion. Uh, listen, in spite of the consequences and the retribution that He has had to bring into our life, He's still been a God of mercy. And in wrath, He's remembered that mercy. We see here that uh, his, when we talk about His redemption, He tells them in verse number 43 how that He miraculously delivered them uh, from Egypt's bondage. As He said, how He had wrought His signs in Egypt, verse 43, and His wonders in the field of Zohan. And He turned the rivers into blood and their floods that they could not drink. He sent divers sorts of flies among them which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave also their increase unto the caterpillar and their labor unto the locusts. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave up their cattle also to the hail and their flocks uh, to hot thunderbolts. He cast upon them uh, the fierceness of His anger, wrath, and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. Talking about Egypt, He made a way to His anger. He spared not their soul from death but gave their life over to the pestilence and smote all the firstborn in Egypt. The chief of their strength in the tabernacles of Him. You see here God is, is reminding them of His redemption. He's reminding them of, them of their rebellion, of His retribution upon them, but He's reminding of them, uh, them of His redemption, how that God uh, had miraculously delivered them from Egypt's bondage and how that he had guided them. Look at verse number uh, 30, or 54. He reminds them that He settled them in the land of promise, that He brought them to the border of His sanctuary, even to this mountain which His right hand had purchased. Look at verse 55. He cast out the heathen also before them and divided them an inheritance by line and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. I mean, God is talking about uh, His redemption. If you look at verse number uh, verse number. Number 65, he talks about how he rescued them from their enemies. That He said, Then the Lord awakened as out of sleep and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine. And he smote his enemies in the hinder parts and he put them to a perpetual reproach. God uh, took care of all of Israel's enemies. He fought their battles. He gave them their victories. You know, God takes care of our enemies too. He's fought our battles and he's gave us our victories. Amen. And if that wasn't enough, look at verse number 68. He tells them that He chose Jerusalem as, one, as the place of worship. But the Bible says in verse 68, But chose the tribe of Judah and, the, and Mount Zion, which He loved. And He built His sanctuary like high palaces, like the earth which He hath established forever. God put His, uh, His place of worship there at Jerusalem. He chose Jerusalem to be that place. And then in verse number 70, He reminds them that He chose David to rule over them. He chose David also, the Bible says, says, uh, also his servant and took him uh, from the sheepfolds and from following uh, the ewes, great with young. He brought him to feed Jacob, his people, and, uh, and Israel in his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. I mean, God gave them the sweet psalmist David uh, to be ruler over them. He chose Israel to be that place of worship. God had guided them like sheep. He parted the Red Seas. Uh, I mean, he, he uh, did miraculous works and uh, bringing them out of Egypt's bondage. And God had fed them with, with quail and with manna from heaven. And he had, had fed them with or gave them water out of a rock. So many things in this psalm that God had did for Israel 
to prove that he, was, he would redeem them time and time again. God had kept his covenant. So many times in our life we look back and we see God's redemption, not just in salvation from hell, but how many times has God delivered you since you've been saved? How many times has God been good to you when he should have let, let you and I die at the hand of the enemy? But in spite of that, God was faithful. He delivered us. He brought us through. When you think about all of this, we see in Psalm 78, uh, we didn't read these verse in, verses in chronological order, but we've read just about every verse in this psalm as we think about these 72 verses here. And listen, as we've selectively read them, we have seen God's, uh, uh, we have seen Israel's rebellion. We've seen God's retribution upon them but we've seen God's redemption all that God has done he's put it here in this psalm he's reminded them here's the tragedy of this text is that I bring you back to the first seven verses of this psalm and how that we see it in full scale we see Israel's rebellion we see God's retribution how that he, he brought consequences in their life and by the way God always brings consequences in our life but he also brought redemption. When they were unfaithful, he was faithful. And Israel had much that they could pass down from generation to generation. They could talk about God's goodness. They could talk about uh, their rebellion. They could talk about God's chastisement. But they could talk about how God had been faithful in spite of their unfaithfulness. You know, the tragedy of the text is, is to not teach the generation that's coming up. And that's what the psalmist is emphasizing in these early verses. Notice with me in verses 1 through 3, he talks about the revelation. He says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ear to ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. He's reminding Israel, listen now. Give ear because you and I have heard. It's been passed down. We've been told. We have received uh, the word. We, we know this history. This, uh, this heritage has been passed down and, and we have this wisdom. We have been enlightened. I think you and I uh, uh, can stand and say that, that we've heard preaching. We've heard the word of God has been given to us. Men of God have been faithful to labor. They've been faithful to preach the word of God to us. And, and you and I have been given a great heritage just like the nation of Israel. Isn't that right? We've been given revelation, haven't we? We see not only the revelation, but we see the responsibility. Look at verse number 4. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. You see here, he said, For He established a testimony. Look at verse 5 in Jacob. And appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. The responsibility is not to hide what you and I have been given, not to hide what we have been taught uh, from one generation that has been passed down, old-time religion. We're not to hide that. We're to pass it down to our children. We're to teach it to our children. We're to make it known to them. I wonder how many listening this afternoon, how many mothers and fathers can honestly say that. You could probably testify of some preacher, some godly saint that's been an example. Maybe it was your mother. Maybe it was your father. Some godly man, uh, man of God, preacher, some godly Sunday school teacher. They taught you the principles. They taught you the standards. They taught you the convictions. They taught you the precepts and the stories of the Word of God. They've lived old-time religion in front of you. But the question is, are you hiding it from, are you hiding it from your children? Are you passing it down? 
Are you giving to your children what has been given to you? I don't just mean by taking them to church on Sunday and them hearing a sermon. You say, well, we go to church and we hear an old-time preacher preach on Sunday. Hey, that's wonderful, but it's going to take more than that. Are you telling them the stories of old? Are you showing them the faithfulness of God? Are you teaching them? Are you living clean and right in front of them? Do they see a godly example at home or do they see a double standard? Do they see one life at church and another life down at the house? Or are they seeing you live the same through the week as they see you live on Sunday? I'm talking about don't hide this, the, the, the heritage that you've been given. Don't you hide that from your children. You need to live in front of them like others have lived in front of you. And if those convictions and those beliefs and those doctrines, if they were good enough when you were coming up, you ought to stand with them and you ought to cling to them. If it's the Bible, it is good enough. Amen. And you ought to, you ought to hold to it. Don't you change. Amen. Don't look at your parents and your grandparents. If you can look at them, and they live straighter than what you and I live. If you can look at them and say, well, I, I don't quite live the way they live. You know, they lived in a different area. They lived in a, uh, they, they did some things that they, it's kind of outdated now. If they, were live, if they were right and they live different than what you're living, then that means you're not living right. That means you need to change your way of living. You say, well, times have changed. Times may have changed, but God hadn't changed. The Bible hasn't changed. Convictions and standards and principles and precepts and doctrine has not changed. And we're to cling to it. And we're our children ought to see the same thing out of us that we saw out of our parents. And as men of God, this generation needs to see the same thing out of us that we saw out of the men of God that walked before us. We ought to be examples as men of God. We ought to be men of prayer and men of power. And we ought to be men of purpose. And we ought to be men of integrity and respect. And, and listen, I know we're not perfect and we're not sinless, but we ought to be men of high standards and convictions and morals. And, and we ought to not dip our colors and we ought to not uh, dumb everything down and we ought to not give in and hide. This generation needs to see some holiness in the pulpit once again and in the pews. That's the responsibility. We see the revelation. We see the responsibility and then we see the reasons. Look at verse number 6. That the generation to come, here's the reason, might know them. Even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. Let's don't rob the next generation of knowing what old-time religion is. Let's don't rob them. Uh, uh, listen, how can they teach their children if they don't know? And we're seeing a generation comes up, come up that they don't know what real church is. They, they don't know what the real Bible is. They've been given so many counterfeit copies of, of the Word of God that they don't think the King James. No wonder they're not standing firm on it. It's not been given to them. It's been hid from them. It's not been taught to them. And it's not been passed down. And they don't know what it is to, to stand for principle and to stand for convictions. You know why? Because they're watching a lot of others that are not standing for that. And the Bible says here that the generation to come might know them, even their children which should be born. Hey, there's children not born yet. They need an old-time church to go to. They need, they need old-time parents and grandparents that will live right and stand for what's right. Instead of trying to be so modern, why don't we just try to stick with the old-time way? I've even seen a generation of preachers in my lifetime that makes fun of the phrase old-fashioned or old-time way. They make fun of that. I had one young preacher say one time he made a little snarled remark about being old timey. I said you need to go read your Bible. Amen. Remove not the ancient landmarks of old of the old time, the old days the Bible talks about. You know we ought to stand for old time religion. I'm not ashamed of being old fashioned. 
I'm not ashamed of being old-timey. Amen? That may offend some, and if it offends them, it's because they don't want to be identified. That the generation to come might know. That's, our, that's one of the reasons is that those coming up might know that they might have a foundation, that they, that, that they would have something to stand upon. That's one of those reasons is that they would have a foundation. We're seeing a generation that, uh, that does not have a foundation. A generation with no foundation. You know why? Because they've not been taught. It's been hid from them. They've not heard what we've heard. They've not seen what we've seen. No foundation, no faith. Look at verse 7. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep His commandments. You see, one of the reasons why that we need to pass on what's been given to us is so that that next generation in verse 6 will have a foundation but also so, they, so that they would have faith. Notice the Bible said that they might set their hope in God. That they might have faith. How is another generation going to have faith if you and I do not uh, live the example, if we don't tell the stories, if we don't pass it down, if we don't preach the book, if we don't live by the principles, if we don't take the stand, if we don't fight the battle, how are they going to have courage and have faith if, if they don't see it in us? And they've got to be able to look at us and see that our prayers are answered. You know, I thank God for answering uh, the prayers of Moody and Spurgeon and Mueller and Hudson Taylor. I love those stories. Like the sheriff those stories but and there's nothing wrong with looking back in the past but hey listen the God of then and the God of yesterday is still the God of today and he can still do it today and he still answers prayer today and you and I need some stories so we need to labor the night through and pray I'll tell you the reason why we don't hear the stories of the present a lot of time is because uh, all people can do is talk about the past because uh, they've not uh, seen God do things because they've not fasted they've not prayed they've not labored the night through. Amen. You know something I'm praying about right now. I'm asking God to do it by a certain date, a certain time. And I believe God put it in my heart to pray that. You say, well preacher, what if it don't happen? Well number one, it doesn't take any faith to think like that. Number two, if that was to be true, I know that God has a better plan than, than my prayer. But I'm going to keep on praying, keep on trusting and believing until that very date. I, I seen God do that last year in a date that, and I'm not talking about just setting dates to be setting dates, but I believe in both incidences God put it in my heart. I wasn't planning on setting a date, but praying God put it on my heart and said, why don't you ask me to do this by this date? And I remember last year God put it in my heart to pray that way, and He did that on that certain day. He answered that prayer by that date and that time, and God is a specific God. And that should not make us nervous. That And we don't have any special or magic wand. But when God lays it on our heart, we ought to step out on faith and just trust Him and pray specifically and then believe Him to do what He said He would do. Talking about the reason to pass down our heritage is so that they will have a foundation, so they will have faith that their hope would be in God, so that they would not forget the works of God. The Bible says, and not forget the works, but keep His commandments. You know, the reason a lot of people don't keep His commandments is because they don't know His works. We ought to pass that on. We ought to give that to this next generation that we might be faithful examples. Look at verse number 8. That they might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. No wonder... A generation rebelled. They saw it in their parents. 
No wonder a generation went astray. They watched their mom and dad do it. They watched them walk in unbelief, so they just followed them off the edge. And can I tell you, we're seeing that happen today. And I want to stop and say, Mom and Dad, you better think about it. You sit around the dinner table and you talk about the pastor, you talk about his wife, or you talk about the church, or you talk about some deacon or some other church member. You, you may think that nothing, there's no consequences in that. You may think that there's nothing going to happen if you sit down and you run somebody down. But I want to tell you something. If your children are sitting at that table and they're hearing that, you're putting poison into them. You're pouring bitterness into them. And you may stay with that church and complain about it all the days of your life. You may stay with that preacher and gripe about him all the days of your life. And I'm going to tell you, when your children get of age, guess what? They're going to leave that place and they're going to leave that man of God and he'll never be able to reach them. They'll never come back. They'll never visit. And if they do uh, come back, they'll come back bitter and, and angry and mad and wish they could get out of there. You know why? Because you dumped years of poison into them. You say, preacher, what do I need to do? Get on your knees and get right with God and then go to them and confess it and tell them the preacher was right. The church was right. You was wrong and that you uh, you poisoned them. Be honest. If you're ever going to see them get delivered, you're just going to have to follow that path. Uh, uh, listen, uh, I'm talking about, listen, uh, uh, they've got to see faithful examples. I'll be honest with you. I pastor a great church. I thank God for it. When I say a great church, I don't mean anything about me. I just mean they're good to me, better than I deserve. I have no complaints about the church. I have no complaints about you that are listening right now. But I would say this. Growing up, my children growing up in a preacher's home, me and my wife, we made it, we purposely made it our goal to never talk about anything negative within the church that was happening within the church while they were present. And I know that, you say, well, preacher, did anything bad happen? Well, you know in any church there's things that happens. In church, you know that. From time to time, things would come up, things would happen. I have no major rifts, and I thank God for that. But when there was always, you know, there's always something. But we never brought that before them. We never let them hear that. We wanted them to think that every single member, and, and still even today, we want them to think every member, they're adults now, they can see for themselves. And as they got teenagers, they begin to see things for themselves. But we never wanted them to hear that from us. And sometimes maybe when they would ask a question about something, we would always just say, well, the Lord knows about that. They're good people. And, uh, and that's the way we always kept it. And I thank God. I don't regret that. We never talked bad about the church. We never talked bad about members of the church. We never talked bad about people. We didn't sit around and gossip and run them down. You know why? Because they were God people and because too God would God would deal with us for that but uh, a main reason too is we didn't want our children growing up being poisoned and, and, and getting bitter on the church and thinking bad. We didn't want them to, to, to rebel. We didn't want to live a life of, of rebellion behind closed doors and, and say well you know I'm against the church. I'm against the preacher. Hey if you're always against everything mark it down. Your children's going to be too. Amen. You better support the man of God. You better support the church. You say well preacher are you always right? You know I'm not, but if I'm not, guess what? God's going to deal with me. But hey, if you're not right, God's going to deal with you. If I'm right and you're wrong, then you're in trouble with God. Amen? I'm just simply saying this, that hey, the problem here is that there's a generation uh, that, listen, they had no faithful examples. Always pays to do right. Even if others are doing wrong, you ought to do right. So your children will see a faithful example. A reason, the reasons is for a foundation, for faith, for faithful examples. And then I want to give you this in closing. Another reason is so that they will fight. 
I bring you back to our verse now. Laid a lot of groundwork to just give you the final thought and I'm done. The Bible said the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. What will your children do in the day of battle? What will they do in the heat of the battle? The children of Ephraim turned back. They, they had the equipment you'll notice in verse number 9. The Bible said that they were armed and carrying bows. They had the, the promises of God was behind them. God would have took care of them, but they turned back. They, you say, well, preacher, what was missing? They missed courage. They were not willing to fight. They had not seen the examples. They, 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 had not, uh, they lost faith. They, they didn't have the faith to go forward. They, they didn't have the courage to press on. Why? They didn't see it in their parents. They, they didn't see it in others. And so they turned back in the day of battle. Uh, they come up short. Hey, if your children are going to stand, and I'll tell you, more than anything, that's what I desire. My children are grown now and have families of their own. But I will say this, I don't want them to turn back in the day of battle. I want them to be faithful. They're going to fight their own battles. They're going to face their own giants. They're going to have their own enemies. They're going to have their own uh, wars that they're going to have to, to win. And the victory is theirs. And God will be faithful. And I'll tell you what, if, I, if me and my wife would have thrown in the towel, if we wouldn't have tried to be examples, I'm not saying we did everything right, but I'm telling you, friend, listen, if we would have lived a double standard in, their, in front of them, they would have lost courage in, when the day of battle come. If you want your children to be faithful and to stand up and be strong for God, you've got to be strong. You've got to take a stand. You've got to know where you stand and stand on your convictions and, and don't back down. Amen. When others turn away in the battle, what are you going to do? Are you going to turn back because others have turned? Are you going to drop your convictions because others have dropped theirs? Are you going to follow some preacher that has, has changed his course and, and went a different direction? Maybe some family member, maybe some close friend, and they're not what they used to be. And boy, they had such a great influence. Why don't you let God influence your life? Instead of letting friends and family members and others, and I, I'm not saying it's not right. People have influence, and thank God for godly family members and friends that do, but I'm going to tell you something. The number one influence in our life ought to be this book. Because when the day of battle comes, are you going to turn back? Or are you going to be faithful? Your children need to see you press on when others have fallen, when others have failed. They need to see you be true to God because it's true to you. You say, well, preacher, I've thought about backing up a little bit, well, I want to give you a good reason not to. Because if you turn back, I promise you, your children will turn back. If you quit in the day of battle, I promise you they'll quit in the day of battle. There's a lot of reasons to serve God. He's been good to us as this psalm teaches us. We ought to serve Him because we don't want to face His retribution, His consequences. We ought to face Him, or we ought, we ought to serve Him because that we ought to not have a desire to live a life of rebellion. Those are, those are all reason in these 72 verses as to why we shouldn't turn back and why we should live for God. But I'm going to tell you a reason why, above all reasons in this text, is the first seven verses that another generation may know. That the generation to come might know that even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare to them, who's going to tell the next generation? about old-time religion if you walk away from it. What kind of hope is your grandchildren? You say, well, my children's almost raised and they're, they're teenagers. What about your grandchildren you've never seen? What hope are they going to have if you don't stay true, mom and dad? Hey, teenager, if you don't live for God, 
You get out there and you, you marry out of the will of God. You mess your life up. You, what hope does your children... I've seen children, young people, had never even had a chance because their mom and dad walked away from God and they went further. They turned back in the day of battle. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us. God, I pray you'd help us as parents, help us as individuals. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us remain faithful. We don't want our children to turn back in the day of battle. God, help us remember your redemption as we see it in this psalm. Help us to be reminded of retribution. God, that you are a God of judgment. You're a God of justice. And you're a God of mercy, but you are a God of wrath. And we don't want to face that. Help us to be reminded, God, that rebellion never pays. Lord, help us to be reminded that there is a battle and there's a generation to come that's going to face the battle one day. While they may have all the right equipment, what they need is a heritage. They need faith. They need courage. They need a foundation that whenever the heat of the battle comes in their life, this generation, our young people in our church, they need a foundation. They need faith. They need to see God answer prayer in the life. They need to see moms and dads that'll, that'll be mom, men and women of faith. And when problems come, that they'll not run to every other resource, but they'll get on their knees and pray and seek you. And they need to see God answer prayer in the lives of their moms and dads and know that the God of yesterday is still the God of today. Lord, we pray, Father, now that you'll speak to hearts, use this message, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.